The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. If you knew for certain that you had less than 24 hours to live, what would you talk about? If you knew for certain that you had less than 24 hours to live, what would you feel so important that you would want to talk about? And who would you, who would you gather around you to talk about those things? That's a tough question, isn't it? And yet that is the setting that we have in the upper room. Jesus uh, knew that his hour had come. And the conversation he is having with his disciples taking place on the night of his betrayal. And he is showing them as he gathers them around and as he talks to them, he, he is showing them what it means that he will love them to the end. And as we noted a couple of Sundays ago, love is the dominant word that John uses as he closes out his gospel from chapter 11 all the way through the end. And then when you get to the end, you're once again called to believe this gospel, this good news about Jesus Christ, who, by the way, will love you and I, his people. He will love us to the end as well. And so we asked uh, in that sermon, are you being held firmly in the grip of God's love? Do you feel that, that strength of love encompassing your life, holding on to you, holding fast, regardless of the circumstances that you may be facing? And it's important to be held by that love Because as we kind of read into the events in the upper room, we know that there is Jesus now with not 12 disciples, but 11 disciples. Because the son of perdition, as he's called, had left to arrange the betrayal. And Jesus, as it were, has gathered his church to him. And he knows that in that room... Those 11 disciples, by the end of it all, will fail him. They will run from him. And yet, regardless of what he knows about them, he knows the evil that exists outside of that room is great. And the clouds of darkness are gathering. And the forces are gathering to destroy. And Jesus has his disciples there with him, loving them to the end, holding them in the grip of his love. And as he does this, he gives them this powerful illustration of how they will be kept in his love and, and amazingly, what will be produced through this relationship of love. Because if you had 11 failures around you, would you think to yourself, oh, really good things are going to come from these guys? No. No. 
And yet Jesus knew that his power poured out in them through the Holy Spirit, who pours into their hearts the love of God, is what is going to win the day in spite of their, in spite of their failures. Jesus, of course, sets this illustration uh, within the story of Israel. As Allison read for us from Isaiah. And you know, as you think about that reading from Isaiah and you, you listen to the language that God has done everything for his people and yet his people could only produce wild grapes. And, and it's rather discouraging. It's rather discouraging. And, and it appears that God has chosen to forsake his people. Their, their houses are going to be empty. I mean, it, it, it would be somewhat like if you, uh, you know, pick the community, but let, let's just say Saratoga, and you went down, you know, those beautiful big homes just by Skidmore, and you went and drove down that big, huge boulevard, and every house was empty. And the grass was overgrown. No manicured lawns, no high-priced cars, no well-capped homes seasonally decorated. And that's the picture Isaiah paints, these beautiful, large homes empty. The land desolates because God has delivered his people over into captivity because of their sins. And the Isaiah reading can be rather discouraging. But when we get to what Bob read. And then here in John 15. We, we are reminded that Jesus has come as the true faithful Israelite. As the faithful servant of God. And when Jesus comes. And, and he, he comes uh, as the redeemer. As the one who has embraced the hour that is upon him. God is saying, see, I did not forsake you. I did not forsake my people. I will be faithful to my promises, and I will be faithful through my one true servant, my son, Jesus Christ, who has been faithful to me to produce the kind of fruit that I was looking for in Israel, but only got wild grapes. But in Jesus, I got the kind of fruit that will be fruit that remains and lasts forever. And when you, when you think about that reading, especially that verse uh, 14 from Isaiah 5, and, and the language that hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and then just a short time from Jesus meeting with his 11 disciples, he goes to the God-forsakenness of Golgotha's hillside, and there hell's mouth is open wide and Jesus descends into it, not in, in a defeat, but in utter victory. For there he goes to redeem his people, leading the captive uh, out of their captivity. He swallows up death in victory. And all of this is under the care of the Father as described in verse number 1 when Jesus says, John 15... I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. 
And the Father's work has continued faithfully with his people Israel, even to this moment when Jesus is going to leave this room and go to the garden of of, uh, anguish and betrayal and be led to the God-forsakenness of the cross and all the way to his glorious resurrection and all the way to his glorious ascension. And today on high, the Father is the husbandman, the vine dresser. The Father is the one who in his sovereign goodness and pleasure put it all in motion and the faithful son carries out the work. And we, by God's grace, are drawn into this today. And I know... I know you believe that. And I, I, and I know you get excited about that on some level, right? But just kind of let that sink in. The work of God for the people of God. This taking away of branches, of unbelieving Israel, the pruning of branches, believing Israel or the church, if you want to put them together synonymously, this is what the Father does for branches to bear fruit. This is the work of the caretaker of the vineyard, seen in Christ, seen in the people of Christ, the church. And you know, it is really not easy for us to like have total buy-in to pruning. I mean, I'm a terrible pruner. I am, I'm like, I'm the worst because I have no patience. You know, if, if I was a barber, everyone would get Marine Corps haircuts. Buzz, I don't care. Everybody gets the same. <laughs> but have you ever, I mean, you ever been around a master gardener, someone who really knows how to prune? Or have you ever gone to some place? And I, I know Disney World's a little <laughs> out of favor these days. Man, when, when we lived in Florida back in the 80s and we would go to Disney World, my goodness, the shapes they'd make. I mean, it was the, the bushes. I mean, everything was just beautiful. Have you ever seen that? Like, I mean, you don't want me doing that kind of nonsense. God in his wisdom and his love and his kindness prunes. And man, it's painful at times. And and we get this misunderstanding about love. Well, love shouldn't be painful. Love is always painful on some level, especially when love is producing fruit that will remain, and especially when in the power of love something New is coming forth. But this is the work of the father, the husbandman, the the caretaker of the vineyard. If we are going to produce the kind of fruit that's going to be remaining, the pruning has to take place. But Jesus gives us this great hope in verse number three when we are reminded that we are made clean through his word, the word that he has spoken. The power of the word of Jesus Christ makes people clean. Religion can't do that. A well-ordered moral society can't do that. The word of the living Christ makes people clean. Even 11 failures, 11 men who really struggled a lot. Jesus here is speaking in a present future context. He says, my word has made you clean. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, full well knowing that they're not really totally all that they should be, and yet the great hope of Christ 
for his disciples is the same hope that he has for you, he has for me. That the word he speaks into our lives, no matter how many times we struggle or we disappoint or we're discouraged or we fail, that his word makes us clean. That word that comes to us. And so Jesus brings the first part of the illustration together with the second part of the illustration. The father, the vine dresser doing his work to make branches bear fruit. Jesus, the true vine, giving life to those branches through the word that is spoken. But now you and I must persevere in the vine. We must persevere in the, in the vine. Which is the meaning of the word abide in verse number 4. And see the relationship. Abide in me, I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. And this relationship that Jesus describes is a relationship where he faithfully engages his people and his people persevere in faithful engagement with him in the word that he has spoken, the word that makes us clean. And the Father then takes this relationship, and with his divine snips and shears, or sometimes one of those big things I see him use, like they just go around the trees and they, you know, and they just know how to dig in just to the right, you know, depth. It's amazing to watch. And this is the Father's work. And all of it in love. All of it, all of it in love. And we are called then to persevere in this. Which is exactly what Israel did not do. Israel did not persevere in the commandments of God. They stumbled. They fell away. They were drawn away by all kinds of godless, worldly, pagan influences. They would not remain faithful, only producing wild grapes, not abiding in God's commandment. And so the, the, the question naturally that comes to my mind is, well, what about Ken Prater? What about Ken Prater? Will he abide? Will he remain? What about you? Will you abide? Will you remain? Will you persevere? Up to this point in your life, perhaps you have. You think that guarantees tomorrow. It doesn't unless you abide in the vine, unless you abide in the word that has made you clean. By God's grace poured out through the power of his Holy Spirit, he draws us in and he calls us to himself. And I love, uh, I've been reading uh, in preparation for all of this, the commentary by, by uh, J.C. Ryle, who was a bishop of uh, Church of England some years ago, 1800s. And we'll put the quote up, because sometimes when we have long quotes, you kind of get lost in them. But this is straight from his commentary. It's just so good. He writes this, believers have no cause to despair of their own salvation and to think they will never reach heaven. Let them consider that they are not left to themselves and their own strength. Their root is Christ. And all that is there in the root is for the benefit of the branches because he lives, they shall live also. Worldly people have no cause to wonder at the continuance and perseverance of believers. Weak as they are in themselves, their root is in heaven, 
and never dies. It never dies. Have you, have you ever had to replant some like vine or flower or whatever? You, you, you're really sad because you loved it, but, but it died? Never, 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 never will the root fade. Eternally secure Christ, who lives forever making intercession for his people, will feed us, care for us, provide for us, not just in this life, but for all eternity. And so we, we need to lean into the strength of this love, and we need to remember, as Jesus has said, that the Father is bringing glory to himself as he wisely prunes us, and that we know through the pruning we will bear much fruit, and we will prove to be the disciples of Jesus. And if we are truly disciples of Jesus, then you know what we get to receive? We get to receive his joy. His joy. And this then is the work of God. As, as we've been saying now, all the way back to the Bread of Life sermon back in June, each week we've been adding to this equation. Where there is light, there is life. Where there is life, there is love. Where the light and love of God truly exists, there is joy. Joy. Deep joy. This is what Jesus says as he brings all of this together. He reminds his people that he has spoken these things that in him they might have peace and that in the world they'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. Jesus has done it all on our behalf that his joy might be within us. C.S. Lewis observed this when he wrote, joy is the serious business of heaven. Now, that almost sounds contradictory, because if we're going to have joy, we shouldn't be too serious, right? Oh, yeah, it doesn't seem too joyful. You're awful serious. If it's serious business, that means you're going to pay careful attention to it because you want the attending the result to be really good so the seriousness doesn't take away from the attending result or fruit. God says, I am so serious about your joy that I make it the business of heaven. And that joy just pours down on us through faith, in what Christ himself has accomplished, in his crucifixion, in his resurrection. And Jesus has been telling his disciples this, and they're slow to get it. We're slow often to get it. And we're slow because, like these disciples, we tend to focus on our circumstances. Trouble is one of the words that shows up in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, maybe. They're troubled. Jesus says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. But they're troubled. How many times have you read, you know, don't let your heart be troubled? You're still troubled, right? Because in our, in our humanness, we tend to look at circumstances. And we think the circumstances are the things that are going to dictate, you know, our emotional equilibrium. Instead of looking at those circumstances through the lens of the love of God poured out upon us in Jesus Christ, that the circumstances aren't the thing that are going to bring joy, favorable or unfavorable, but it is the pruning of God. The wise use of those circumstances, whatever they may be, that is going to be resulting in 
joy. Can I give you another from Bishop Ryle? I, I don't use him enough, and I should use him more often because he's just so good. In my uh, humble opinion, he's just so good. Listen to, to this. He writes, joined to the Lord by faith and united in mysterious union with him by the Spirit, they stand and walk and continue and run the Christian race. But every jot of good about them is drawn from their spiritual head, Jesus Christ. And, and this is where joy and love meet. They meet in the daily circumstances of life. They meet in the troublesome times. The kind of trouble the disciples are feeling. The kind of trouble that you get with anxiety or stress or worry. The kind of, kind of circumstantial stuff that hits you out of the blue you weren't expecting and there it is. But if the Apostle Paul is right that love is the greatest of the gifts that abide and if Lewis had a good window into what's going on in heaven that joy is the serious business of heaven, then you and I had better dig deep into the words that Jesus has said, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the circumstances, good, bad, or indifferent. And therein you can indeed find joy in those things. So do you think it's strange that these are the things Jesus would talk about within probably 12 hours of his death? I mean, it's a bit of a compelling question, and you'd have to sit down and think. Like, think about it. Like, what would you talk about? Jesus gathers his disciples. He washes their feet. He gives them the theology of the Holy Spirit that the church has drawn strength from. He teaches them about what's going to go on in the Father's presence and that the Father is going to send the Spirit to them and that they are not going to be alone. He teaches them about the union that he has with them and the church. Teaches them about peace. He draws them into joy. All of this on the night in which he was betrayed. For he said, I am the true vine. He did for his people what Israel was intended to do, but did not do. Our faithful Lord Christ Jesus did for you and for me. You know, if you say, well, it is kind of strange for him to be talking about those things. Then I would say, well, it's really not strange because he's still talking about those things to us. It's no longer the night of his betrayal. But he still wants us to know these things. Because in this world, what are we going to have? Huh? What are we going to have? Trouble. Trouble. Tribulation. But what does he want us to know? Who's overcome the world? He has. He has. He has overcome the world. Over the past weeks in preaching these I am statements, I've been doing it because it is my hope that we will, by God's grace, be renewed day by day. Not just a Sunday meeting, but renewed day by day through a transformational encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
as his word abides in us and we abide in him. And, you know, as we've learned, at times that transformational encounter is going to look like bread that multiplies miraculously. Just keeps going and going and going, for he's the bread of life. At times it will look like light overtaking darkness, for he is the light of the world. At times it should be our experience to boldly tell others that he is the one true door. And if people by faith will walk through that door and believe his salvation, then they will meet the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And when the time comes for the shadow of death to fall on us, then we can say along with other disciples that Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life. And then when we struggle to find our way, we are drawn into and remember that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And if we live that way, then we recognize him to be the true vine in which we abide as he abides within us. Brian will ask you this question next week. Do you believe this? Do you believe this in a transformational way? And are you believing it every single day? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us today. And as we uh, are confronted by it once again, thank you for your love poured out. And now, oh God, would every grace attend this word and the Holy Spirit bring conviction and bring clarity Bring help into our lives, O oh Lord, I pray. And that as we come before this blessed table of the Lord, we would do so having been made clean by your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.